Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I am joined by Nick Panai. Nick is the Chief Marketing Officer at Amelia, which is a leading software firm focused on conversational AI. Before joining Amelia as the CMO in 2019, Nick was the Vice President of Brand Demand and Digital Marketing at DXC Technology. Uh, DXC is a $20 billion global IT services leader formed in 2017 after the merger of CSC and HPE Enterprise Services. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Nick. Thanks for having me, Nathan. I appreciate it. So can we start off um, by having you share with us something that you are super passionate about? Well, listen, I'm, I'm super passionate about everything marketing uh, and technology. Those are the two worlds that I, that I live in. Um, clearly, based on where I am now, artificial intelligence is, is my current passion and, and one that uh, I think is shared by a lot of people. Uh, and then, you know, of course, when it comes to the world of marketing, I have a passion in ABM and pursuit marketing that I think we can talk about a little bit later. What do entrepreneurs and CEOs need to know high level about artificial intelligence and, and how can artificial intelligence today help entrepreneurs? That's a great question. So let, let's talk about artificial in intelligence in general and then more specifically the space that we're in. So artificial intelligence, as the name implies, is getting machines to think uh, and act and communicate as humans do therefore elevating our ability to get things done and letting us focus on the things that humans do best, right? In our particular case, we work on conversational AI. And as the name implies, it's all about machines that understand human conversation and communicate back in the way that humans understand. So think of it as machines learning how we communicate versus humans learning how machines communicate. How can businesses uh, take advantage of that? they can scale their resources because they can take the mundane redundant tasks that they would otherwise or their employees have to deal with, give them to machines and focus on the things that humans do best, which is creativity, empathy, and personalized service. So the most practical applications of that today for entrepreneurs and, and businesses would be maybe customer service through chatbots? Where, where would we see that most commonly implemented? Yes, so chatbots is a term that people understand because we all come across chatbots on our, in our daily lives, right? on websites and up in apps on the phone. What we do is not a chatbot. The difference between conversational AI and a chatbot is this. A chatbot is human program decision tree. Think of it almost like an FAQ. So it replaces what we used to call the uh, inter, you know, interactive voice response systems, what you call a, a, a call center, and they ask you to press eight and nine and three, and you get caught up in this mess. Instead of doing that, they now have a chatbot doing that for you. So a little bit more sophisticated, but we call it IVR 2.0, meaning the next generation of those systems. Artificial intelligence is different in that the software knows how to communicate with humans and then take action on their behalf. So companies can take advantage of this immediately in the call center. Whether that call center is a very small two, three agent call center that answers incoming from customers 
or an IT help desk or an HR help desk that's trying to, in a challenging COVID environment, trying to support all of these remote workers everywhere. So artificial intelligence, conversational artificial intelligence can take a lot of the strain out of that business and let the people focus on what they do best and simply take care of the help desk, support, call center actions. Most of what we ask when we call a call center is challenges, problems, right? We rarely call a call center and say, hey, I'd like to commend you on a great job you're doing. You know, we usually call them because we have some sort of an issue. 80% of, of those issues usually are resolvable by conversational AI. So think of the efficiencies that a business would gain from doing that then that would free up their agents to do more high touch work with high touch customers and handle most of the questions that would otherwise be handled by agents. Can you give us a couple examples of companies that you think have done a particularly good job of implementing this conversational AI? Yeah, I'll give you a, a great example that we use uh, a lot. You know, Telefonica is a, a yep. huge telecom company in, in Spain. We actually have partnered with them in, you know, their international company. One of the locations is in Peru. So in Peru, they basically put Amelia, our version of a conversational AI agent, in their call center. And Amelia takes about 7 million calls a month. Oh, my goodness. 7 million calls. She replies, uh, again, obviously in, in uh, Peruvian uh, Spanish. She, they interact appropriately. She takes action on behalf of the customer and closes the loop. Just imagine the savings and the, and the efficiencies that that company can gain. And that's using voice, which is something chatbots cannot do, right? Chatbots yes. are all about text. A lot of people just wanna pick up the phone and talk to someone. They don't wanna just sit there pressing buttons. And again, that comes in very handy. There's many, many customers that are doing that. That's just one of them. How much money do you think Telefonica saves each year by employing? Uh, you know what? We, we lost track because, you know, it started, you know, much smaller, obviously, as a pilot. And then it moved so rapidly um, that, you know, that's something that the company would have to kind of tell us. But I, I will tell you, it's a lot more than money saved, right? Think about is a three-pronged value proposition. Money saved is one. Number two is employee engagement, right? So the employees that they would otherwise have to be on the phone and listen to you and me complain about our phone bill or want to reset a password. Imagine doing that all day long. I don't think a lot of people kind of see that as meaningful work, right? Yeah. Now they're able to move into higher value proposition and use a higher level of human interaction where necessary. So employee engagement increases and most importantly, customer satisfaction increases. Why? because especially during the pandemic, right? With all the call centers getting flooded with all this incoming, two or three X the volume of incoming calls. Most people have to wait on hold. I don't know if you had to call your airline anytime yeah. recently, but you know, it's, it's a painful experience. With a media or with an artificial intelligent agent, the whole time is zero because it's software, it scales. So she answers the phone every single time with no wait time and solves 80% of the problems approximately because she's seen those before after millions of interactions. So of course employees, I mean, customer satisfaction goes up as well. So it's a three pronged value proposition. It's 
cost savings, employee engagement, and customer satisfaction. So that sounds great, sounds expensive, and sounds like something that might only be available to larger corporations. How hard would it be for the smaller businesses to roll out something like this and how expensive? Yeah, it's actually increasingly easier. Granted, I would say a couple of years ago, this was more large enterprise space, right? Because you required some knowledge internally of conversational AI to build the use cases, to integrate into the back systems and so forth. Going forward, this is a uh, software as a service platform. So you can scale up, but you can scale down as well. You can simply hire one digital employee and that digital employee can scale as your business scales. You pay by the transaction. You pay a few cents by transaction. If you look at what you would pay for an equivalent human being, it's amazingly affordable even for the smallest of businesses. And the integrations are pretty much out of the gate because now with cloud connectors and all those great technologies, we're able to really plug into the CRM system or whatever system you have relatively easily. So it's moving down market pretty, pretty quickly. That, that sounds great. Uh, we all have had those frustrations working with um, the artificial intelligence on phone calls, right? Yes. Where they, they say, which of these four things do you need? And they read four things, but none of them is your solves yeah. your problem, right? And you, you only can pick one of those four things, right? There, there's some frustration not working with the human. I am sure you guys are putting a lot of effort into improving that. Um, what are you doing to make the artificial experience more humanized, more, more uh, a, a much better customer experience? That's a, that's a great question. So let me make one minor connect, correction to your statement. Um, what you described is what we call IVR, interactive voice response, where it asks you to select one of the options and then from there you get an answer or not. That is human program. There are some people sitting in a back room somewhere saying, oh, look, the calls are coming in. These are the questions. These are the answers we're going to give them, right? The minute a human says, oh, hold on a second. I have another question. Hold that thought, I want to have another question. Or they change context on you. That human program decision tree breaks down. That's the equivalent of a, of a chat bot. Same thing. You can ask a couple of questions. You get more questions in return in terms of an answer instead of an answer. What we do, exactly to your question, to humanize the experience is artificial intelligence learns how to communicate with people. So our agent has comprehension not just classification. What we describe this classification, there's four buckets, you classify and you get an answer. Comprehension says, I understand what you just asked me. So even if you asked it in a slightly different way or with a slightly different accent or faster or slower or one of the hundred languages that we support, we understand what you want and then should communicate back to you in a human-like manner. In some cases, people don't even understand that they're speaking to a system, not a human. So which brings up another set of interesting questions, but that's the technology is the experience you should get would be human equivalent, if not better, because you actually get consistently uh, consistent answers every time. You don't get somebody who's on a break. You don't get somebody who says, oh, by the way, I'm sorry, I get a blue screen. Let me reboot my system. 
right. because it's software. It's already integrated into the back end. Yep. You know, she doesn't need to go look over the kiosk to get somebody else to come and help because she's software. She, she has the answers because you loaded the answers into her brain. It's as easy as uploading a document, right? So you have a, a hundred or thousand page manual of Q's and A's. She loads it into her brain in a few seconds and she has comprehension. So even if you ask the question slightly different than what's in the document, she'll know what you mean and she'll be able to answer you. What are the greatest strengths of going with conversational AI? It sounds like you can scale a lot better. It sounds like you remove a lot of the human error. You add consistency right. to it. What are some of the other greatest advantages of going with conversational AI? Uh, I would say a couple of other things. You get the right ones, obviously. You know, cost efficiency, scale, employee engagement we talked about, customer satisfaction we talked about. But let's look at some of those other areas. Because it is software, um, Amelia, our, our particular conversational AI, she doesn't get upset. Like humans, we have, a, we have a way of reflecting each other's emotions, right? So I may be a call center agent, I'm having a bad day, you're having a bad day, we're having a horrible conversation to the point where you wanna to escalate to my supervisor. She doesn't get upset. She knows how to provide empathy, whatever. You can ask her the same question 15 times and she'll answer it again and again and again. You do that with a human, they probably just want to hang up and quit their job right there, right? So she has certain qualities that are actually superhuman in that particular case. Infinite patience, you know. Also, we talk about bias, right? Regardless of what it is, whether it's a loan application or some sort of a, any situation that some, some humans have embedded biases, right? In how we deal, we hear an accent or we hear a certain voice or a certain mannerism and immediately our predisposition of what that human is all about kicks in and that may reflect in the way we answer the questions. She doesn't have biases. She treats everyone equal. She's just trying to get the job done. Yeah. Right. So imagine that in an HR situation down the line where the front end of the recruiting process is done via AI so that you remove any biases and you only bring to the management team the best candidates regardless of race, uh, sex, location, accent. Yeah. You just look at a very uh, objective approach to getting things done. That's just one example. Love it. Some very practical applications there. Yes. What is the biggest mistake or failure that you have made in your career and what'd you learn from it? I would say the biggest failure was early on in my career, I, I obviously I love marketing. I've been in marketing all my life. I think marketing and sales are the strangest bedfellows ever, but probably the most important relationship in business, right? Because you talk about the top of the funnel handing to people who can actually bring revenue into the business. And very few people understand that that relationship is key, right? So they start to run towards results and campaigns and award-winning marketing without really establishing this strong trust-based relationship with sales. And I did that early in my career to the point where I was like, you know, good marketing speaks for itself. I love salespeople, but I didn't bother to sit down and actually develop a trust-based relationship to make sure they understand what we're doing. I'm yeah. thinking yeah, they're gonna love it just because we're gonna bring them good leads, right? At the end of the day, you know, humans need a little bit more than that. So. 
yeah, early on in my career, I screwed that up pretty pretty quickly and, and did what we thought was pretty good marketing that fell on deaf ears. Yeah. Uh, and the next, the next job after that, or at least the next opportunity I had, I sat down with sales right out of the gate. I said, let me explain to you what we do. You explain to me what you guys do. How can we work together? Develop actually the personal relationship to where it's not emails you're dealing with, you're dealing with human beings. Yeah. And then, and then all kinds of good things happen from there. What's the greatest home run you've hit in your career? Setting up an account-based marketing practice. Um, and I would say, again, we innovated this concept of pursuit marketing in my, in my previous uh, company. And that resonated so well. Most of the talks that I give nowadays are like, oh, help, help me understand how is pursuit marketing different than ABM, right? And something magical happens when you're working with salespeople whose quarter depends on a particular deal. They are a lot more attentive than usual. They are a lot more flexible than usual. And they are listening for anyone who can help them. What a wonderful opportunity for marketing and sales to build a relationship. From there, you help them close a deal like that, that's strategic and important to them, both personally and for the business. The next project, you have a very different dynamic between the two. So that I'm very proud of. We went from zero to I hired my first one. I remember the day when I hired my first ABM or internal hire. Then we built a practice of about 18, 20 ABMers uh, spread around the world and working with sales very, very closely for a pretty good period of time. What is your best monetization strategy or secret? If by monetization we mean a very, the clearest, most direct line of sight from marketing stimulus to revenue, then you can't get any better than pursuit yep. marketing. That is the closest the two lines come. Doesn't mean that you never do all other things. All other things lift all boats anyway, right? So if you yes. did amazing brand marketing, guess what? Then your pursuit marketing is not gonna be that hard because they know you. Wonderful, yeah. that's a wonderful thing. If you do great social media, great. They lift all boats and you have to do all those things. But if somebody told me you got a dollar to spend in one tactic and that's it, what would you do? Yeah, that's right. I would do the same thing. Yeah, I would do the one-on-one -on -one direct marketing to the best sales prospects you've got. Exactly. And get the best marketing person you can. So the, one of the biggest areas that I see is a potential um, weakness for some people who are doing ABM. They forget that ABM without ABMers is a science experiment, right? And the human being, the ABMer, is going to be the one that ties all these things together. So some thinking is required. A lot of people equate ABM with ABM platforms. All right? They say, oh, yeah, you do ABM? Yeah, yeah, we, we just bought demand base. Well, that's great. That's not ABM. That's an ABM platform. Yep. You got to put it in the right hands, right? You got to think about it. You got to strategize. You got to do all the things we talked about, work with the sales team. The tool is not going to run an ABM campaign for you. You're running an ABM campaign through the tool. That's right. So that's an important distinction. So you need to bring the best marketers. 
other people make the mistake of saying, oh, you know what, you know, Lucy is doing field marketing. I think she'd be great in, in ABM. Let's bring her into ABM. Or John does content. Oh, you know, we need content in ABM. No, it needs to be the elite of elite of marketers that you have that have experience in multiple functions in marketing, especially uh, sales. Especially relationship-driven sales. Yes, and they need to be type A personalities. Yes. Because they will get eaten alive by sales. You know, that's the, the, you can take a very, very smart, creative marketer who is more of an introvert and put him in sales. They'll get, they'll get like walked yeah. all over. In, why? It, not because salespeople have any bad intentions. That's just their personality. They're, they're like a bull in a china shop, right? If you, if you let them. So yep. you need to have marketers that can hold their own, that can earn respect and work well with the sales team. So you need to get some strong ABMers to do that. The world of marketing is constantly being shifted by tectonic shifts that are just transforming the business landscape. Think of like the shift from bricks and mortar to internet or the shift from yellow pages to search engines, right? What do you think are the biggest tectonic shifts that are transforming the business landscape today? Look, when I, when I started to do digital marketing, that was years ago, um, I realized that the definition is, is wrong. It's not digital marketing. It's doing marketing in a digital world. Yeah. There's no other marketing. You know, even the physical things that we do are informed or guided by some level of digital element whether it's digital intelligence that leads you to go do that physical event like we just talked about or something. So doing marketing in a digital world is a mind shift that is not going back, obviously. And it puts marketing in a position of power like never before because the, the digital exhaust and the digital footsteps that we can observe and can help our sales teams with are only available to marketing in any organization. We're the ones that have the web tracking tools. We're the ones that have the search engine behavior. We're the ones that have the intent platforms and understand all those things. So we, and information is power. So we are sitting in a position of power like never before. So now what you do with it is important. Are you gonna take that and basically squander it by doing things that nobody cares about? Are you gonna take that and finally position it with the sales team so you can go win together? So we have an opportunity like never before. And I'll, I'll close with one thing. I've always been excited about marketing. I knew early on I wanted to be in marketing. We have one of those functions, one of those professions that has such a wide range of skill sets and opportunities for young people that is unmatched by any other function. So think about it, one day we're talking colors and shapes and music and video. And the other minute on the same day, we're talking about analytics and predictive modeling and lookalike modeling and stats. It's as, as polar as you can get. So yep. within, within that huge range, there's so many opportunities for people to experience amazing things and bring it all together. Because I, I want everybody in marketing to have multiple experiences anyway. So. I think the professional marketing, back to your question, is changing and it's actually becoming a much bigger tent because of, of all those things that are happening that, that are putting us at the center of, of 
digital, the digital lives we live right now. Thank you so much, Nick, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, conversational AI can comprehend information and respond to questions asked in multiple different ways, communicating in a human-like manner. Number two, we can use AI in our customer service department, saving us time and money and making it much easier to scale a business. Number three, about 80% of customer problems are usually resolvable by conversations with AI. Number four, AI can save our employees the hassle of answering basic questions. This way they can spend their time engaged in more meaningful work. Number five, AI can increase customer satisfaction because it reduces call time and removes human error. Number six, when our marketing and sales teams are on the same page, we are more likely to win over a customer or client. To learn more about or connect with Nick, you can find him on LinkedIn or visit his website, amelia.ai. And there's links to both of those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can learn how to leverage passion marketing by becoming a top priority of your ideal customers by downloading my free book at passionmarketing.com. If you receive value from this episode, I would be very grateful if you would subscribe to the show, write a review, and share it with a friend. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I wish you success as you leverage AI in your business. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.